Everybody doing good? Okay, 16 of you are. Everybody doing good? Loving the weather, right? Uh, how's the weather in Mobile? Yeah. Foley, yeah, they're doing well. Baymanette, hey, it's great to have everyone involved. I want you to do me a favor. Uh, if you will, I ask you on First Wednesday to do this, so some of you already know about it. But if you will begin to pray with us about the completion of the Foley campus, we're wanting to be in there for Easter. And so if you'll pray that everything will work and go together and just come together, we would appreciate that. We would really like to be in that facility uh, on Easter Sunday. So will you do that? Okay. Boy, this is a weak group here. Okay. How many of you don't give a rip if they get in their own? <laughs> I got to get any hands on that? No, okay. Okay, how many of you will join in prayer? Okay, that's good. Tell you what, you're making me work for it today. Well, as you know, we're in the series Welcome Home. I want to go into this fifth piece because we have been talking about the prodigal son. We've been talking about last weekend the elder son. I made a statement in the message last weekend. I'm not sure you remember it. And by the way, you can go back and listen or watch all of these to catch up. I made this statement that the main character in this story of the prodigal of the lost son is the father. We put a lot of attention on the younger son that we call the prodigal. We put attention on the older son. But the main character is the father. And here's what I believe this message today we're going to talk about the high cost of the inheritance I believe this is the father's message to you and I know that some of you may when you say father you may have a, a negative correlation to an earthly father or maybe you had an absentee father or abusive father you need to remove all of that because your heavenly father is perfect and your heavenly father I think he wants you to know the high cost of your inheritance. Neither of the sons in this story accepted, appreciated their inheritance. Uh, I mentioned to you last weekend in Luke 15, 11, and a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. That's my inheritance. So he divided to them his livelihood. So both sons got their inheritance. The older son, he received double. So both sons received their inheritance, and both of them left home. One left home spiritually and physically. The other left home spiritually and emotionally. They both left home, yet one stayed home physically. But if you look at his attitude, and we did last weekend, you'll know from his attitude, his heart left home. Neither of them appreciated their inheritance. The reason they didn't appreciate it is they didn't realize how hard their father had to work for it. And I think that would be the same with us in the natural, receiving an inheritance from parents or grandparents. We may not even think about how hard they worked for it and how they, how they labored for it. We're just thinking, oh, well, here's the inheritance. So is there something that we need to understand about our inheritance? This message is from the Father to you. That's what I want to talk about, our inheritance. There's one word in the New Testament that describes our inheritance, and that word is the word redemption. 
I think it's brilliant that the Holy Spirit decided to write the New Testament in the Greek language because it's a much more expressive language, language than English. In the English, we have one word for redemption. It means to redeem. There are four Greek words, and, and we're going to look at those because we don't have a great context of redemption. Now, for me, maybe not for all of you, but some of you, there was a, a, a lot of this in the first service, but I remember growing up, and I remember the S&H Green Stamp Redemption Center. Anybody remember those? Look at all the old people. <laughs> you had to lick stamps, put them in a book. You get enough books, you go to the redemption. And guess what? There, there was nothing there for kids. Uh, it, it wasn't a cool place to go at all. Our earthly view is we have to redeem something. Sometimes it's something we don't want or it's something eh, just not much to choose from. But the Father redeemed something he wanted. You. He wanted you. The four points of this message are actually the definitions of the four Greek words for redemption. Because I believe we need to see why the Holy Spirit chose these Greek words. The Word of God is breathed, it's inspired by the Spirit of God for man to write. And you're going to see that it's not happenstance that these four words are here. So here's the definition of the first word. The marketplace for slaves. The marketplace for slaves is the actual definition of the first Greek word. And let me show you where that word is. It's in Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, You're worthy to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The word for redeemed here. It, it, it literally means the marketplace for slaves. I want you to understand something. Slavery, just like any other injustice against humanity, existed because of sin. It should have never existed in our world. But slavery, slavery is like any other evil in our world that's happened. That's happened against mankind, whether it's rape or murder, violence. It, it is evil because of sin. But let me help you understand what a slave market was like in biblical days. When you, were in, you went to the slave market, the people buying the slaves were encouraged by the slave owners to inspect the merchandise, just like you would if you've been to an animal auction or a cattle auction. They go look at the cattle and whatever before the auction. What they would do is in their minds, they thought if a slave were strong and, and would work hard, we can tell by their teeth. So they go along to people, pull their heads back, and look at their teeth. If they had healthy teeth, they were probably healthy slaves. So the heads of these people were forced back, their mouth would be open, and inspect their teeth. The people who were buying the slaves were encouraged also to push against them, or hit them, or kick them to test their strength. They were encouraged to slap them, spit on them, curse them to test their temperament. The female slaves many times were forced to disrobe because their use was more for immoral purposes. The most degrading, most humiliating places that have ever existed on this earth were slave markets. So why would the Holy Spirit use this word for redemption? Why wouldn't the Holy Spirit come up with some nice church word? Because when Jesus came to the earth, the beautiful garden he had created had become a marketplace for slaves, and we were the slaves. 
Satan is our taskmaster, our owner, and he did everything he could to humiliate us and degrade us. And, and many of us, before we came to Christ, we were disrobed in humiliation. He basically slapped us, or he would curse us, or he would hit us and disrobe us in humiliation. That's where we were living where Jesus entered the marketplace. But you see, the wonderful thing about our Savior is he didn't just wave his hand and get us out of the marketplace. He entered the marketplace himself and became a slave so that everything we endured, he's endured. He was mocked. He was kicked. He, he, he was spit upon. He was disrobed so that we would never have to go back to the slave market again. This first word in the Greek is agorizo. Agorizo, the marketplace for slaves. Here's the second definition of the second word. Out of the marketplace for slaves. It's found in, in, in Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us out of the marketplace for slaves from the curse of the law having become a curse for us. This Greek word is the same Greek word. It's just that the prefix ex in the Greek means out of. So it's ex is added to agorizo. So you have agorizo, that means the marketplace for slaves, and now you have ex agorizo, out of the marketplace of slaves. Jesus didn't, become, didn't just become a slave, he also got us out of the marketplace for slaves. Here the Bible has another word using to show us how wonderful redemption really is, and it is, shows us the high cost of our inheritance. When a slave was put on the auction block, time to sell, he was sold to the highest bidder, and in, in the same way, Satan put us on the auction block and sold us to the highest bidder. The highest bidder is sin. Sin. Romans says we were sold under sin. Romans also says we were slaves to sin before we were saved. So what sins were your master before you got saved? Satan puts you on the auction block, and you, you, you might have been sold. Say, for example, he sold you early on to lust. You were looking at the wrong pictures, and, 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 and as a young person, and that master take, has taken you down a road and could have destroyed your life, but for Jesus, you've been set free from that. But here's what we forget. Satan will sell you again and again and again. He'll put you back on the auction block. Next time, he may try to sell you to pride or to anger or insecurity or fear or rejection. He'll sell you to any type master you'll yield yourself to. So we had absolutely no hope of getting out of this marketplace without Christ. We were slaves of sin, could have never been set free. The only hope we have would be redemption. In other words, someone had to come get us out of the marketplace. Here's the third definition of the Greek word for redemption. The full payment of a slave. The full payment of a slave. It's in Hebrews 9, verse 12. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. This word in the Greek is lutrosis, and it means the full ransom or the full asking price of a slave. So if a slave owner felt like his slave was particularly a good slave, a strong slave, and someone's interested in them, he would raise the price. Do you think that Satan felt like the person that was trying to buy us was very interested in us? Yes, he did. And guess what? He raised the price. Do you understand the highest price ever paid for a human was paid for you? 
Not with the blood of bulls and goats and calves. The Bible says with his own blood he redeemed us. The full asking price. The Son of God, his own blood. We were horribly mistreated and we had no hope. So, so listen, this is the reason I'm sharing this with you. I'm saying this. If you don't allow this revelation to stay fresh in your heart, you'll leave home. You'll leave church. You'll leave God. Do you understand that the majority of us came to Christ because we were in a place of humiliation, we were in a crisis, we were in a problem, and we came and we heard the gospel, we heard the word, and it touched our hearts, and we became a new believer, and it activated something in us we'd never had before, and then here's what we do. We kind of forget that and stop keeping it fresh in our mind, what Jesus did, the price he paid, and then we find ourselves kind of, it just becomes common knowledge, then we drift away, and before we know it, we're back on another auction block because we've allowed ourselves to yield to another sin. You see, if you ride that roller coaster ride that I just described, the way to defeat that is in your daily acts of worship unto God to thank Him for the price that He paid, that He gave His Son, that His Son died, to keep that fresh in your mind so that you don't forget it. Because I have seen so many people come up in church and, and they forget the revelation and they leave home. And listen, this is how powerful Satan is. Satan will convince you that slavery is better than freedom. If you can get it out of your mind, what God redeemed you from, and it becomes common, and you kind of forget, he can convince you that slavery is better than freedom. And he'll have free, he has believers that go back into bondage. That's how good he is. So we have to remind ourselves of what the cost is he paid for us. One of the best reminders is a story in, in the Old Testament. And I had someone come up to me earlier and say, I forgot all about that story. You, you need to read this story. Now, this, this story has a bigger prophetic picture than where I'm going to bring it to, to a narrow lane. But, but God told a man named Hosea to go purchase a woman from the slave market and marry her. Well, you, you, you didn't marry a slave. You, you just didn't do that. But he goes, and he does what God says. He purchased the woman, he marries her. But here's the amazing thing. After a few years, she begins to run around on him. Eventually, she leaves him for another man, and, and that, the one she's been running around with. And then after a while, he decides he's tired of her. He takes her back to the slave market and sells her. And another man buys her, and he abuses her, and he gets through using her, and he takes her back and puts her back on the slave auction again. And now she's an older woman. And the story says she's on this auction block and there's nobody bidding for her. And all of a sudden, in the back of the crowd, somebody throws out this outrageous number. And everybody turns to see, who is that? It was Hosea. He bought her back. He bought her back. And this time, he bought her back. And, and he said, I'm taking you home. And he says to her, you're, you're not going to do this anymore. You're going to come home and you're going to be my wife. Now, that's a type of Christ in the church. That's a type of the rapture of the church being the bride of Christ, and we're not going to live this in-and-out lifestyle here anymore. And finally, he'll take us out of here. We'll marry him. We'll be with him in heaven, and you're going to be my bride in heaven. That's the picture of that. But it's also a picture of this word, lutrosis, the full payment of a slave. That's what Jesus did. Now, here's the fourth one, the fourth definition of the Greek word for redemption, the full payment of a slave's freedom. It's in Ephesians 1, 7. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
The word lutrosius means the full payment of a sin, of a slave. The full payment of a slave. When you add apo to it, A-P-O, apolutrosis, it means to return back to its original state. So watch. Jesus not only bought you, but he returned you back to your original state before the fall. Well, well what is that? I mean, we weren't even around before the fall. So how do, how do we get back to that state before the fall? Here's the, here it is. You are sinless in the sight of God. You're sinless in the sight of God. You're not perfect, but in the sight of God, sinless with no sin accounted against you. That's better than you're, you're, you're letting on. That's really good news. That's really, really good news. That God can put us in a state that we look sinless just like Adam did. We've all, we're all in the slave market of this world. How many, how many of you remember what it was like? Jesus entered the slave market to take us out of the slave market, but in order to get us out, he had to pay the full price. And he didn't just buy us so we could be his slaves. He paid the price for our freedom as well. In those days, you could buy a slave, you could pay extra money for the slave's freedom and set the slave free. This is what Jesus decided to do. Listen, he's saying this. I don't want, to just, I don't want you to just be my slaves. I want you to be my sons and daughters. I didn't buy you out of this to be a slave to me. I bought you out of this to be my son and be my daughter. Galatians 4, 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But listen, I want to tell you something. You're not slaves anymore. You're sons and daughters of the Most High because of what Jesus did. He did it all. He paid the ransom, not only for you to be free, so you can go back to the original state. Your original state is you're a son. You're a daughter of God. Sons and daughters of God have benefits. Sons and daughters of God have all of these extra pieces that belong to us because we're children. I don't know if you've ever made this statement. Maybe you're not in that stage of life. But we've made this statement, they're always your children. If they're 35 or 25, they're always your kids. You think, well, when they get out of the house, we'll be free. You know, the kids will be on their own. No, they're always your children. There's always something there. Listen, you're always God's child. But when you have been redeemed, now you're God's child back to the original state. And the original state is where you have all of the spiritual benefits so that you can live and walk like God's child on this earth. I don't know if you're listening to the words I'm saying or not. I don't know if you're sleepy. I don't know if you haven't had caffeine. I don't know what you're doing right now. But what I just shared with you is the most powerful truth that the Father could convey to you, but sometimes we become so casual and we, we become so, so forgetful about what he did that that's the main thing. We could not be doing what we're doing and being who we are right now with what, without Jesus redeeming us. That's how powerful it is. I grew up reading the, the old King James Version of the Bible. Anybody old, nobody's going to raise their hand now. I call out everybody old. <laughs> we, we didn't have the new King James and all that stuff. And so, in, like in, in, uh, in Matthew and Luke, if you read through that, you know, you've got all these begots. And you skip over them because you couldn't pronounce the names half the time. 
So you, you'd read it, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and pretty soon I begot tired, and I just skipped right over that part. <laughs> but look at the revelation of this one in Luke 3.38. This is in the New King James Version. The son of Enosh, who is the son of Seth, who is the son of Adam, who is the son of God. Wait, 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 wait. How could Adam be a son of God? Jesus is the only begotten of the Father. He is. He's the only begotten of the Father, but he's not the only son. God the Father has lots of sons and daughters. Adam was created a son with no sin. You know that's what Jesus did for you? He returned you back to the original state before sin ever came into the world. So let me just throw this out. You know the story Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve was, actually the story tells us that when Eve sinned, Adam was beside her. He did not fulfill his role as the head of the family because Adam had been told by God before Eve was created to take dominion over every creeping thing that was creeping on, on the earth. Well, there was a creeping thing talking to his wife. He did nothing about it. And, and, and listen, let me, tell you why the serp, let me tell you why the devil chose a serpent. Because it's stealthy. And you can't see in the scriptures where they actually saw him, they heard him. So he doesn't want you to see him, he just wants you to hear him. And, and, and so he, he's talking, Adam is there, they both sinned. Adam did nothing. But what if, what if Adam had not been there when Eve sinned? He'd been on the other side of the garden, and then she says, I think the story would go like this. The father goes, go, goes to Adam and says, son, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this, but your bride has sinned and she must die. And I, I think Adam would have said, but, but I don't want her to die. I, I finally got some flesh of flesh and bone of bone. I mean, naming all these animals, it's like I was wondering, am I ever going to get any? I, I, I don't want her to die. And I think God said, well, I can make you another one. And I think Adam would have said, no, 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 I love her. And I think God said, well, someone must die. Then Adam said, well, then let it be me. And by the way, if Adam had died for Eve's sins, he would have been resurrected. If he'd have been sinless, he'd have been resurrected. Because if he had never sinned and he had died, he would have been resurrected because death and grave can't hold a sinless person. Not a perfect person, a sinless person. And that, by the way, that's why you'll be resurrected too. Because of the redemption. Are y'all breathing? So listen to me. That conversation did take place. It took place between God and Adam, but not the first Adam. 1 Corinthians 15, 45, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The Bible calls Jesus the last Adam or the second Adam. So God said one day to the second Adam, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, son, but your bride, it's us, has sinned. And your bride, that's us, must die. And Adam said, I, I, I don't want her to die. I don't want her to die. And the father said, well, I can make you another one. And Jesus said, but, but I love her. And if someone must die, then let it be me. That's what your inheritance cost. Our inheritance, the grace of the cross, is costly grace. 
So let me ask you this question. Are you so grateful for your spiritual freedom that you are compelled to help others get set free? Or have you just forgotten about your spiritual freedom? Have you forgotten how good this is? Because if, if, you, if, if you have, you're gonna, if you have it, you're going to be compelled to help others. We cheapen it when we forget this truth, but the power of the cost of our inheritance will help us see others find freedom. And there's no higher calling than you being a son and a daughter. But Paul said the reason why you and I have been set free is to promote the cause of freedom wherever we go. And you may be thinking, you know, well, if I had this intense story like the prodigal story, I'd be passionate about seeing others find freedom. Well, I doubt that God sees things that way. I think he looks at your story and mine, and I think he says it, well, it cost his one and only begotten son everything to see people free. So we should look at the cross, and we should see great, God's great love and the cost of grace and find our hearts changed by what God has done for us. And as a result of understanding the high cost of our inheritance, understanding it freshly, we serve God with a humble, grateful heart. And understanding it, and remembering it, the cost of our inheritance, we long to never sin again. But, but guess what? We will sin again. And we'll call upon the grace of God again that was revealed on the cross. So you, you could liken us to Barabbas. We walk away free because of the suffering of an innocent man. Let me wrap it up with this story. In January of 2011, a young man, 20 years old, opened fire on a Congress on Your Corner session held by the third term of the U.S. Representative Gabriella Giffords in the parking lot of a Safeway grocery store in her home state of Arizona. You probably remember. She sustained a shot to the head at point-blank range. Eighteen others were shot, six of them fatally. Giffords would live through the experience, but certainly not unchanged. With one dreadful decision on one ordinary day, this young man made an epic mess of his life and Gabriella Gifford's life. On some level, I know the feeling of making a mess of life. I've made equally devastating decisions along the way. While they didn't result in taking a life or wounding a life, they certainly resulted in my hamstringing my own life. And I know I'm not alone. Because I believe if I could poll the campuses and poll you right now, and I could ask you, those who are walking with Jesus, after a time that you find yourself still making a mess of things in life sometimes? Sure we do. And I'm not encouraging mess-making. I'm not pro-sin. I believe the higher moral conduct is better than immorality. That good behavior is better than bad behavior. Following rules is most often better than breaking them. I'm simply acknowledging that wherever human beings live, breathe, messiness exists. It does. All of our lives. God feels compassion toward our mess, and he gladly steps in. God alone possesses the tools required to clean up our messes. So that the one who takes another's life, or the one who sleeps with the wrong person in the wrong bed, or the one who can't speak a single sentence without cursing or blaspheming God, the response is the same. God says, I'm not put off by your mess. I, I'd love to stay and help clean things up. And he says this, open the door to my will, my ways, and I'll be more than happy to come in. So understand, 
There are two options available to, available to us. Two options. We can keep the door of our heart shut tight, or we can swing it wide open and welcome the Father in. The younger son opened the door and let the Father in. We're not sure what the elder son did. Remember what the elder son represents those in the father's house those that didn't physically leave the father's house but the heart left I've heard a lot of definitions of repentance over the years the simplest one is this repentance is unbolting the door and throwing it open to God's presence power and plan because when we turn around to the door to reach for the knob we're literally turning our backs away from our mess it's kind of like what the old hymn says turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things on earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We can focus our eyes on Jesus. We can focus on the messes we've made, but we can't do both simultaneously. Only one gets our attention at a time. And I'm learning, repentance, I'm learning, is admitting I'm a lousy God. So when I make a mess, and I don't want to tell anybody, and I don't want to try to fix it myself, I don't do that very well. Worshiping myself leads me to messes. And, and understand, you may be gifted enough that you can clear up a couple messes, but I'm telling you, you end up, when you do, you worship yourself. And you say, I got this. This screwed up. This messed up. This happened. I got it. I can fix it. I can fix it. I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I don't need a pastor. I don't need the presence of God. I, I, I've got this. And you see, anytime you worship yourself, you, you never have peace in a mess. And so time and time again in my life, listen, Sin after sin, I've turned. I've walked toward that door, and I confidently turn the knob knowing full well who's on the other side. The Father. In the Father's heart, he's done all he can do. He's paid all he can pay. The cost of the inheritance, we cannot even fathom. But I'm telling you this, he's there. And he loves you. And you may have a mess. And you may have a mess that you've masked. Or you may have a mess that nobody knows yet. But I'm telling you, if you'll turn the knob, he'll find you there. You have to remember, Jesus came to the earth. And this earth had become a marketplace for slaves. And we're the slaves. And Satan is our taskmaster. Jesus didn't become a slave just to get us out of the marketplace. But he became a slave to get us out and set us free. Sin was your master before you got saved. And Satan, he will. He'll sell you again and again and again. He'll put you back on the auction block. We have absolutely no hope of getting out of this marketplace on our own. Do you hear me, church? We cannot get out of it. Without Christ, we're slaves of sin, could never be set free. The only hope we have is our redemption. In other words, Jesus has to get us out of the marketplace. He entered the marketplace, the slave market. To get us out, he paid the full price. And he didn't just buy us, he, he paid the full price for our freedom. Our freedom is, brings us to our original state, a child of God with an inheritance, with a covenant, with a blessing, with benefits. 
We are children of God. We can't keep one foot in the world and one foot in the blessings of God. If you're going to stay in the original state, you stay there. And you stay there by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see the sin because it's covered by the blood. But what he sees is a child of the living God. So here's what I, here's what I leave you with. And I'm going to pray for you. Don't forget the cost of your inheritance. Don't take it for granted. Don't just drop in and do church. And remember it. And give thanks to God for it. And when it stays fresh, here's what you'll want to do. You're going to want to give that inheritance to somebody else who's not free. It's just a natural thing. I look at people, I hear people, and when they're hurting and they're weighted down and they're going through all of this, in my mind, I want to spurt it out, but you have to give it out in pieces. I want to say, oh, I know, I know how to get you out of that, but, but the price is beyond what you can come. I, I know exactly what you need. I know exactly, but you see, here's what happens. You, you can't put that finger in their face. You can't, you can't do it that way. What do you do? You've got to build a relationship with them. You've got to relationally start showing them that you love and that you care and you're going beyond. And listen, I promise you, I promise you, I've said it before, people used to laugh, but you, 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 you can't love people unless you love God first. If I didn't love God, I couldn't love you. And that's true with you. It's only through that love of, and that relationship with God the Father can I love. But the more I'm reminded of how good he is and the goodnesses of the Lord and all the blessings of the Lord and what he gave to me, and I didn't deserve it. I had a mess, and he fixed this, he'd done that, he's done all these things. And I realized, well, you know what it does inside of me? It makes me want to find somebody else, like Paul said, and get them into freedom because he set me free to get other people free. There's no higher calling than being a son and a daughter of God. I'm serious. There's no higher calling. And we think, well, if I can just get by, if I can just get through, I can just weasel my life and get it, just get by this and get to heaven one day. And the Father is saying, I've already paid the price. You're a child. You're a child. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. Father, thank you. I don't know why you love us so much. I don't know why you didn't clean the slate and start over so many times. But somehow, beyond our comprehension, there's a love. The Greeks call it agape, which is a love that's out of this. We can't even understand it. It's so far beyond. But you love us. And, Father, you're the theme of this story. And, Father, you have the younger sons that are prodigals, and you have the older sons with hurting attitudes. And the whole time, in your mind, you're thinking, if you just knew the cost. If you just knew the cost of the inheritance. You would walk in it. You'd be redeemed, and your whole life would change. Thank you, Father, for that promise. Thank you for it in Jesus' name.
And the church said, Amen.